Another episode of Supercoach Insider. My name is Ben. And I'm Swizz. And thank you for joining us. We are talking about the Geelong Cats, also known as the draft relevant team of 2022, because there's not much else there, ladies and gentlemen. Probably a nice little short podcast today. It's um, a lot of relevant stuff, though, but I'm sure Swizz, lovely to have you. We will drag this out as much as we can. Uh, before, we, before we move on, though, you got a bit of a shout out out here. Yeah, mate, I'm going to give a little shout out today and that everybody knows I'm, how can I work my cricket club into the podcast world and that big week for us for the 50th, but I promised her I'm going to give a shout out on the podcast. Uh, we have one of our girls, Neilu, who's 15, played her first game in Premier Ones this week. So that's a Jesus. You know, absolute super effort. She, she won our, she's been playing senior men's and senior ladies since 11 years old and uh, has already won a club championship and gone off and yeah, playing with some of the state girls. So I said to her, I'm going to work you into the podcast somehow. I don't know how I'm going to bring you up in a footy podcast, but no, I'll give her a shout out. That's a super effort by any any sports person. So for our football fans who do follow their cricket, Jeez. watch her come through the ranks in the next few years because she's an absolute Unreal. brilliant person. What's the highest score? Do you know, Swiss? Have you asked those kind uh, of I know she details? made. She played a rep game, a junior rep game recently and reeled off about 85, not out, but she's an all-rounder. So, yeah, she, um, she's pretty good with the ball as well. So... Um, I think in her first state your... game, first game of seniors, she took a wicket. So at eleven years old, I don't think I took one till I was about eighteen. So, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> hey, what's your highest score, Swiss? Seeing we're on seventy-three, this... not out, mate. Ah, right. I made a hundred when I was twelve years old and peaked. <laughs> <laughs> highest score I made was when I was twelve. We, we had a kid. We life. had a kid on the weekend. First game of under fourteens made one twenty-two, not out. A little fucking shit. So he's fifty runs better than me. But uh, what under Caleb as well for that. So that's pretty impressive. I feel ya. But we digress. Um, before yeah. we move on, SC Insider one hundred on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. You can also find us on audio play audio platforms as well. So Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, you name it. And you can also find us on the YouTube. I uh, thank you very much for everyone that's been shouting out the love there, getting those subscriptions. So if you don't follow already, please do like, subscribe, do all that funny business on wherever you are, because otherwise we don't know if you love us. And we just, it's the love is implied, uh, also known as my relationship with Chris. The love is implied because it's not written on paper. So let's move on and have a look at Geelong. Now, Geelong have not much going for them, to be honest with you, except for some, you know, it's definitely notable premiums. Some good uh, standard, uh, actually, it's good draft relevancy. And when we have a look at their fixture to start the year, it starts off, you know, Essendon, Sydney, Collingwood, Brisbane, Hawks, North, Fremantle. It's not too bad. Like, it's one of those ones where it doesn't look like it's the easiest draw, but it's definitely not that hard by any stretch of the imagination. What do you think about Geelong this year as far as their hopes, their dreams, and their disappointments? Yeah, hopefully more disappointments than than dreams, but it's either it's either one or two things that are happening for Geelong. This is their last crack while they've still got Dangerfield, Guthrie, you know, Selwood, Hawkins. Uh so it's it's all in for them at the start of the year and they've got a they're chasing this flag. If the wheels start to fall off mid year, um we could see a lot of rookies coming through and the next phase of Geelong because yeah, I think they're all at their peak. A lot of these players are at their peak price. They've been up there for a long time. They're trying to get a flag. Fallen shorts, you know, a couple of times there, especially to us a couple of years ago, which was nice up there in your land, Benny boy. Uh, so, yeah, it's it'll be a very interesting to see how they start. And we're going to know a lot about Geelong in the first six weeks. Yeah, I still think um, Geelong are definitely in the hall this year. I think it'll probably be next year. The wheels might fall off a little bit. And the reason is they still have quite a lot of that team together, still a lot of experience. It's just about whether it can you know, stack up at the right time of the year. Now, if you could choose three of the Geelong's most important, as far as winning a flag, three of Geelong's most important players that need to play all the games and play well for them to win a championship, what would be those three? I'm going to go Tom Stewart first. Um, he is that rock down defense. How, like how good is he? Intercept marks, a lot of the ball comes out through him. So I'm going to say him, 
Tommy Hawkins, um, even though they've brought Jeremy Cameron in, and that Tom Hawkins, how many um, you know times has been their leading goal kicker? So if it's not for him, um, even you know we've seen Cameron able to do it himself, but I think Hawkins is just so important, especially with those Geelong games. Um, he's just dominated them. And third, well, it's got to still be danger, doesn't it? And that like the the man's a freak. Uh, shout actually, big shout out to Patrick Dangerfield for those that don't know down at Mogs Creek, which is his hometown. He saved an eleven year old girl in in the surf this morning. So what a you know sometimes you know, people think it can be a bit of a flog for you know just the way he's on TV. But no, big shout out to Danger Man because uh, you know that that's real hero stuff there. So well done to him for that effort. So yeah, Danger Danger's my other person. Yeah. Yeah, definite kudos there. I don't think Danger's a flog. I think he, he's someone that cares passionately. And sometimes when people are extremely passionate or they care or they have strong opinions about what they stand for or, or you know, especially about, say, AFL in the community, because whether we like it or not, a lot of AFL players look up to him as kind of that uh, standard. And sometimes it kind of it might come off a bit arrogant or a bit sort of pompous do you know what I mean like he thinks he's better yeah. than everyone else but I think he's just one that, that is really passionate about the game and his role within it and I, don't I think, think if Dangerfield would I think if Dangerfield was like in part of the Australian cricket team he'd be treated much differently but because he's a footballer where people naturally hate the other 17 teams in the comp and Geelong yeah. not the most likable team um, more because of the success for a long time yeah they did well, when he was at Adelaide, people deserves. loved him. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's one of those things when you go to Geelong, oh, you're moving for success. It's like, but I'm going yeah. home. Like, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, I do think, uh, and if he was an Australian cricket player, he would be kind of like Smitty, except without the controversy. Yep. He'd be like widely loved as much yep. as Smith, except hadn't let them down and cried yep. on national TV. So um, it's definitely an interesting one. Now, out of those three, how many do you think I agree with? Um, I'm going to say one of them. Yep. Being Dangerfield, um, for me, yes, I know. Like Stuart and Hawkins, I think are definitely you know they're stable, and you're I think you kind of know what you get from them. So Hawkins will take the big one; he'll kick his goals, and Stuart will hold down the other end and get his intercepts and everything like that. But for me, I think the most important players for them this year, in order to win a premiership, Dangerfield number one. When he's fit, he's firing. He is kind of like the X factor, the scoring machine. He's the one that can swing a game off the drop of a hat, depending if he kicks straight. Next one for me is Duncan. And the reason is, is that Duncan is, I think they need to play him in the midfield, right? Because he's an elite ball user. He's their, one of their best runners through that middle of the field, makes good decisions, and he's their link player. He links the chains of the scoring, and I think he is definitely one of the most important players as far as taking the ball and actually capitalizing, and they need him fit and firing this year more than anyone. And then the last one I'm going to say is Jeremy Cameron. And the reason is that they, he didn't perform last year, probably upset by it. But because if Hawkins is taking the main one, they need Jeremy Cameron, Duncan, and Dangerfield, all three of those, to play every game and to play exceedingly well in order for them to win this year. And then you just expect that you'll get your, your normal role players from you know, your Hawkins and your Stewarts and your... Uh, Blycarves and everyone else like they go with that. So that's just my opinion. I think that those three players could be in for a big year because I think Geelong need it if they're going to win. Because otherwise Hawkins just gets a few goals like he normally does. Stuart gets his few intercepts like he normally does, but that does not going to help change the dynamic of them actually winning a premiership. See, but uh, see, I look so at the other. I was looking at the other way where if they're not playing, they can't. They're not winning. Without, if they don't yeah, have that's Hawkins true. I was, I was expecting those two to just keep playing, but yes, you yeah. are correct. The, you know, they are definitely important. Okay, so let's get on to those premiums then. So we've already had a nice little segue on who we rate and why. I don't know why, but we're going to start with Cam Guthrie, the guy that cost me 50 bucks last year, <laughs> uh, averaged 113.3 for the year, came out gangbusters with a 121 average, then went 97.7 over the next six in the middle. And I started to get a bit optimistic, like, hey, if he averages 80, he might actually not average you too well and I might have a chance. But he averaged 119 for the last seven. So he actually came home like a thunder. Swizzy, is there any realm that you are touching him this year? I should go and see what the wife's doing because she had Guthrie last year. She was so hot on him and I just did not know why. I'm like, it might be the facial hair or just the role for so long. But, yeah, what a fantastic year he had. I just don't see him backing it up. Um, like, I think he can go close to what he got. Um, 
but yeah, I don't, I, I don't see that you know going in a positive way. And what did you say, one thirteen? Yeah, I won't. I don't see any value there where we talked about Brayshaw, where I think that's around that Brayshaw mark, that 113 to 115. I think Guthrie drops back to more what that Bray, what Brayshaw had, that 105, 107. So, yeah, I don't see there's a reason why I would want to pick him. I can't see any realm in which I am picking him. Uh, and there's nothing against Guthrie. I, I quite like him, but I don't see the value there. And I completely underrated him last year like obviously wrongly i wrongly underrated him last year but there's no realm in which i'm going to change my ratings and pick him up in a draft league i will move around him and let someone else take that risk uh why because i don't see it as a guaranteed certainty um i think he's a great pick but it's just not for me and i'll let someone else take him basically how it is if i own him guaranteed he's going 95 and I won't live with myself and I'll be raging every, <laughs> every way, which right and center. So yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, yeah. Swiss draft leagues. Just are you in or are you out? Yeah, enough. Just avoid at all costs. Okay. Yeah. I'm letting someone else take that train and Tommy Stewart's the next one, 585,000 January 30. It did say he banked a decent amount of training. Um, we were worried about Henderson. I was worried Henderson retiring. I was like, is he going to become more accountable because we saw with, say, Charlie Cameron, they played Brisbane. He was very accountable, which still might happen with Smalls. But I was worried if, you know, with tall players, who were they going to put in there, right? So I was like, Jeremy Cameron, uh, Jeremy Cameron, Tom Stewart's going to have to play accountable football. He's going to be playing tall. He's going to play, play lockdown. And it's going to kill his super coach potential. But De Koning's been coming through Swiss, and we'll get on to him in the rookies. Tom Stewart looks like he could be in the clear for his usual role and his usual super coach output. Starting to get tempted for standard now, Swizz. What, what are you thinking with Stuart? No, massive fan of Stuart. Really like him. He's the guy that you just know he's going between 80 to 120 every week. And that there's no if buts of that. He takes the intercepts marks, gets a couple of kickouts, does everything right. So, yeah, one of those, you know, standard deviation players where, you know, he's probably nearly one of the best in the league for primos there because you just know what you're getting from every week the good about that is i feel confident i can pick him up later in the year um hopefully you know because he's going to be around that same price he'll probably drop to maybe 550 something like that but he's not going to kill me with those massive scores the negative to him very luke ryan like and that just does not get through a whole season. And it just frustrates me because I like it. You know, it's 18, 21. He played that one game year where he had 22, then 14 and 20. So he just misses the odd game. And yeah, more, especially in draft leagues too, like he's going to be your D1. You don't want your D1 or your M1 or your F1 missing games. And that, because it just kills you that week. There's no covering for those guys. Um, you know, you can get away a little bit with a standard sometimes and that because, yeah, hopefully you've got the cover cover there and it, you know, it might cost you the 40, 50 points that week or you might burn the trade and able to get somebody else. But you can't do that burning the trade in, in a draft league. Um, so it can really frustrate you missing those games. But it, there's plenty of other players like Whitfield misses games too. So the, it's a common thing with some of these defenders. So no, I like yeah, him. Yeah, 20 is not bad though. It's not bad and that, but it's still it just it just frustrates. And well, that always it seems to be at the groups, worst time. Um, Crisp. When you pit him against Crisp, though, similar price point. Crisp doesn't miss any games, but then Crisp is probably also at more risk of dropping an average compared to, say, Stewart. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, and even where, like, Lloyd just doesn't seem to miss games. He's around that price again. A lot more people are more comfortable of sort of having Jake Lloyd in their team. And it's just that different, like, even if it's a one game difference and anybody can get injured, but if you're averaging a hundred, like, and you're putting that rookie on or you can't cover in that week, it's such a big difference in your league match or even your overall, because I, I think I had it last year where for whatever reason, one of my rookies was missing as well. And I was always going to hold Stuart. And I think the rookie that I had covering scored like 20. So I was 80 points behind those who weren't banking Stuart in. So, you know, he's a very popular pick. He's in 16 and a half percent of teams. I can understand why um, if he gets through the preseason, Game's no problem and scores at 100, probably more going to jump on. It'll probably be 20 to 25%, especially with Aaron Hall going down now. And some might get cold feet about Crisp. But yeah, I just, I think you're getting, you know what you're getting with him. And there's just, I don't see the value. 
So he normally plays, what, about third tall or something, doesn't he, and floats off? Is it kind yep. of – it's one of those ones. But um, the issue for me is that in round four they play Brisbane and he has locked down on Charlie Cameron. So he was killing it, I think, at one point and then ended up, you know, locking down on Charlie Cameron and they both didn't score or something. It was something stupid. I was like, what's going on? Um, so they're in round four, which is probably the concern for me. But when you have a look at other parts, you're at Essendon. Who are their forwards that are really killing it? They don't really have that many, do you know what I mean, that are absolutely dominating or that you're really scared about. Sydney, you have, you know, Buddy and, and you know, like, but you have your others, uh, your McDonald's and a few of these others coming through. He won't be on Buddy, I don't think. So, again, probably not too bad of a matchup for him to kind of float in and do his thing. Collingwood, a very similar one. He might end up, you know, for Dugowie or someone's forward, he might try and take one of those more uh, attacking types when they get up there because they're a bit more dangerous. Uh, Lions, again, I said it's an interesting one because he can float off and absolutely smash them. But then if someone's on fire, I think Charlie Cameron kicked like three or four goals and bang, all of a sudden he's you know accountable. But then after that, it's like, you know, Hawks, right? Forward line at Hawks, he'll probably dominate. North Melbourne forward line, he'll probably dominate. Fremantle, like Tabiner's coming back from an injury. So again, not really that many crazy hot forwards at Fremantle, probably dominates. Giants now have just lost some of their players as well. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, you got Hogan, and then they're talking about playing some other fringe forwards. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Himmelberg and um, I can't think of the other guy. Um, again, not that many dangerous forwards. So it's kind yeah. of like he actually is probably primed to score very well because these teams that they're not playing, it's not until you get to like Port Adelaide that are a bit more dynamic and aggressive. Adelaide are probably easy issue in again. And then the Bulldogs. So most of the first half of the year, it's not like they're playing against crazy good forward lines. Yeah, I know. But you just look at these scores that he's had against these teams like Essendon, Sydney, Collingwood starting off. So his last three against Essendon, 107, 123, 102. Sydney, 114, 105, 99. Collingwood, 119, 95. That's what he does. He just, I just feel like I'm picking a guy who I know is going 100, 110. And that, and it's fan, great. No different to Jake Lloyd. So if you want that security and go, yep, I'm getting, I'm, Getting what I'm paying for. But even with Lloyd, I can see possibly now with Dawson going, there still could be some value there. With Stuart, I'm just thinking I'm getting exactly what I'm paying for. I'm getting that guy who's going 105 and, you know, he's going to have that dip, little dip against probably Brisbane. But every other week, you'll score between 100 and 110. And, yeah, like there's a possibility I'm happy to pay for that. But at the same time, I like I like value. You like value. And, that, and I, I, I can live without him for now. Yeah, that's fair. Jeez, average against Brisbane, 60, flat. Yeah, he's, he's never turned that's up against Brisbane. the only team that he's never turned up against. That's messed up. But outside of that, you know, so again, Hawks, North, Frio, GWS, I think it starts to kind of really start to increase there. So I'm definitely, you know, considering it. I think it's within reason. Um, for me, it's a, probably a Stuart versus Crisp scenario. And looking at upside and damage ratio, it's one of those tough ones, I feel. So it's it's going to be a preseason play out for me, and um, you know I kind of like my team better with Stuart instead of Crisp. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, so, naturally, and Stuart, yeah. you're going to want at some point. It's just a, like okay, I've got Stuart. I'm locking him in. I've got my D two. No problems there. And that Crisp, I think this could be could be some value. Yeah, but again, how many how many deep are you going? Because if you go Lloyd Stewart short Whitfield, there's only two spots left. That's right. So as in you say, yes, I can get Whitfield at any point, but then a better price point will probably show up at some point and then you'll yeah. go them instead and then you'll be without. Yeah, well, that, that that's There's it. not well, many spots. Well, there isn't many spots, but at the same time, it's like I think Crisp and, and Stuart will be probably averaging close to the same this year. I just like the idea of Crisp's role being in that midfield where and he doesn't he just does not seem to miss games. And that way Stuart always like seems to Crisp miss one or two. Looks like Chris will be splitting at one third kind of thing because I'm talking about the four types of midfielders they need, yeah, yeah. and he was one of three, one of three for that type: Pendlebury, Crisp, Maynard. Was it no? And Dacos. I can't remember which one was which. Um, yeah, so it's I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I am waiting for the eye test again. Preseason will tell all. Um, moving on. So pretty much the most of the conversations there, and then half the conversation will be on Dangerfield, and then we'll round out to draft relevance. Uh, Dangerfield's another one. Five sixty-seven k. Now, I've heard, I think, uh, Corey's big on him, averaged, was it 104.3 over 13 rounds. Did come home quite strong um, in the middle to late part of the year. He started off slow last year. So, remember, he got injured. He also came in underdone. So, he was very much a risk of, you know, what was he going to play and that kind of thing. So, it was definitely up in the air. 
I'm waiting to see how he performs in the preseason. I haven't heard much about how he's tracking, though. Geelong have been very quiet. I think they just released some videos now and then about preseason, but I haven't heard much about Danger. Yeah, mate. Um, Danger's always been one of those guys I don't usually start with a bit on the dusty mold because, you know, especially because Geelong have go deep in finals, shorter preseason, and they let him build in. And a lot of those years, he's had some injury problems and he's uh, spent some time up forward early on. But following Danger on all socials, he has been looking ripped. He's been surfing, you know, relaxing, doing everything right. Um, hasn't probably been doing as much with the Geelong boys, but that's natural. At his age now, he, you know, he doesn't need to do the full preseason as, as normal. It's all about managing his body and getting it right for the right time. You got killed if you didn't bring Dangerfield in last year. Yeah, he had that injury 21. But some of those scores, 184, 134, 165, 169, like Danger, when he's on, he's on. And I'd hate missing out on, you know, those Dangerfield scores. The problem is how many of those midfielders can you fit in because we're talking about still the premium guys and there's always that chance Danger could play a game forward if they've got a weaker opponent um, because with him and you know Selwood and Duncan and Guthrie, all their age now, they don't need them playing full-on midfield against your North Melbournes and your Adelaides and West Coasts and, and whoever else you're going to name as the bottom team. When Dangerfield needs to go in there against Brisbane, um, Bulldogs, Melbourne, yeah, he's going to play probably you know, 70, 80% of the time in the midfield and score massive and win those games for him. Uh, so it's just, I get worried about that, that different um, workloads throughout the season. But it's somebody I really want, and I really hope he gets dual position early because, yeah, you'd love to have him in the forward line. Oh, for sure. And I think it's all kind of relying on that. And you don't want to kind of jump too early and hope that he gets the sort of dual position because if he doesn't, you're kind of screwed in order for him to go and become another top eight to 10 midfielder, you want him at 115, which means that if he falls short and maybe he averages 108 to 110 or whatever, then it becomes a, a bit of a fail. And it's just one of those weird ones to kind of put up against. Like I do like the price point. I think he could average 115. But again, it's going to be depend on the role. Are they going to throw him in that work workload, workhorse sort of midfield mentality? Or are they going to sort of push him forward, etc.? So... I think he's important to them. If they're going to win a premiership, I think he has to be in there. So it's it's a wait and see for me. I could definitely be swung. But again, there's not much room in there. When you look yeah, at how tightly contested the midfield is, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's it's hard for me. Yeah, for sure. And that's and that's the hard thing with Danger because for I feel like Geelong, they, they know they're going to win enough. They should win enough games at Geelong. Uh, they're starting, it's starting to become not as big of a fortress that it was in the past. You know, Brisbane should have had them last year, but that's just natural because of the how they're ageing. But Danger and those other boys, Selwood, Hawkins, know this is their last chance and that, that they've been going for this premiership for the last few years, keep missing out. So I think they can be red hot to have a proper crack at it um, before, you know, the side falls off a cliff. So in his last game against, like, they've got the Bombers first up. His last two against the Bombers, 184-139. Um, and then his last game against the Swans, well, last two games against the Swans, 170 and 130. Like, the guy in those important games, round one, he's got every chance he's going to come out and score 150-plus points. Um, he'll go forward, he'll kick his five goals five or whatever he normally kicks because he's you know not the greatest kick at goal, but he'll get all the possessions, does, does everything super coach friendly. So I would love to pick him, but I feel like it's him or Lockie Neal. And there's a there's half a little chance now if in that pre-season game, Lockie Neal does spend all his time at the wing or spends more time forward and that, and it might be like, you know what, bugger it, I'm going to go against the grain and I'm going Dangerfield. But at the moment, if I had to choose between Neal and Danger, I'm picking Neal. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think he got injured in round 21, wasn't it? 21, Supercoach? Yeah. Or something yeah. happened. Uh, it's yeah. an interesting one. And also, he broke his hand in round 23, so... He kind of played through the the pre uh, through the final series with a broken hand, needed surgery post season, so he was actually um, did have surgery at the end of the season, so it was limited, I guess, on that. Had surgery on his hand, so I am waiting to see how he goes. You take all the injuries out, he still averaged well. I mean, yeah, didn't play what he got. Um, came in ninety two injured, didn't play, came back seventy five injured. 
came back, got a 66, and then, yeah, went on the heater that we spoke about. So his ceiling's definitely there. I don't mind it more for a – if you're not going for overall and you're going for leagues, then it's definitely a point of difference that could definitely capitalize and hurt your opposition on a week-to-week basis. And, yeah, wait and see on his role for that one. So, yeah. yes, uh, moving on. Let's have a look. Um, probably more draft relevancy now. We're just going to have a look through – uh, Duncan, definitely standard relevance. So we'll touch on him and that's probably the next hot contested debate. And then we'll move into the other draft relevance. He's a midfield this year, which is where the intrigue comes from. If he was a midfielder only, people wouldn't touch him literally at all, but he's 540 K. He's a mid forward 99.2 average over 10 games. Started off like a house on fire average 117.8 over the first five. And then things started to kind of, you know, go down a little bit, got injured, Dropped his average down to a reasonable amount where he's actually not a bad price point, but there are issues, Swizz, relating Duncan. Yeah, it's his body, and that's been the case. Like, it's 10 games last year, it's 16 games the year before, and he's injured again. Um, so, I just, there's no confidence that when he's on the park, you need, you want this guy in your team, you nearly need this guy in your team, especially as a forward, because um, he's going to spend large chunks in the forward line. And just scores at will. Like, who's going near Duncan when you've got Dangerfield and Selwood still and Guthrie? Just runs around, does his thing, and he's just one of their... He might be nearly their most important midfielder. Um, it's fantastic when he plays. The problem is, it's just his body again. So I think because he's a mid-forward, we're all going to end up with Mitch Duncan in our side at some point. And I want to start the guy. There's a few times I've flipped and flopped with him and Dunkley. But, you know... We talk about how deep you go in the defence, how deep you go into the midfield. Do you go Darcy and Grundy? There's only so many premium players you can have. And at the moment, I'm like, well, 50-odd percent of people have got Dunkley in. Um, I'm more confident on having him because I haven't heard anything negative about Dunkley's body, where Duncan just, just worries me a little bit there. Benny? So the issue the issue is, is that so he had what PCL injury last year. Right. They came in. And what's funny is, is that I think it was like a month ago, you know, Duncan came out with a video saying that, you know, he's on, uh, uh, you know, he's discussing his smart 2022 preseason. Right. Uh, even had a video. And I think they're talking about how the midfielder um, says he's feeling young again and all this sort of stuff. So, right. Load management, despite feeling young again. So they're managing him. Right. And it's kind of like the Hanbury thing with the manage him. And he's feeling young. It's like, oh, wonderful. Yes, we're being smart and we're managing me and we're going to ease into the preseason and then does a calf. Like, if that doesn't scream old man injury, I don't know what does because he was being managed already and then does a calf on the way out of increasing his load. That doesn't give me much confidence. Yeah, and it's a hard thing because, yeah, as we said, he's going to be, if he plays, he's going to score 100 and that. And... Yeah, but I'm just, and it's going to change it up now because I think, yeah, it's still 23% of people have Duncan in their side. So I think when people realize he's not there for the first practice, well, they're, they're playing the Tigers this week down at Geelong on Saturday. Um, and then, you know, look at the report. So, yeah, those who haven't already will probably be looking at swapping him or finding an extra 10K to get to Dunkley. Um, and then it just becomes a, at what point do you bring him in? Because um, there'll be a period of, there'll be a, six, seven-week period where he'll be going off and it'll be just how quickly can I get this guy back into my team? The problem is you bring him in, and we've talked about this with injury players before, like Ryan and Kelly and that, um, who are you know injury-prone. And Dunkett's now at that age where, as you said, old man's injury, picking up calves. Um, yeah, you, you feel like it's you bring him in six weeks later, you might have to trade him out again. And it's a real danger. But at the same time, if... You know, if he's playing and other people got him, well, you're, you're going to be watching him score 100, 110 every week. So I really don't know what to do with Duncan when he becomes available. He's obviously, you're not starting him. And then how? where do you take him in a draft because of his injury? Because he's currently listed as the F2. Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, So for me, so last year, right, he missed the first couple of rounds, came in underdone, was dealing with injuries or whatever it was, right? Then came in basically of bugger all preseason and then bangs out 117, 92, 133, 149, 98, 125, Right. It's literally ridiculous. So he has, and even over when you look at previous history, so I know, yes, the last two years weren't great. 10 games last season, 16 the year before. Before that, it was 22, 20, 21, 22. 
and then he had 11, se- 11 games in a season, then 22, 22, 21. So it's, he has had some issues, but generally speaking, what are we talking? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons of 20 or more. So it's not as dire. I know recent history says, and when you look at age, et cetera, but as a forward, he is definitely a valuable option. Um, I don't know how bad the calf is. I don't know when he's looking at coming back, but it is if he doesn't play these preseason games, it's hard to pick him, especially with all the value in the forward line. Right when you have a look at so Butters is playing midfield, uh, Heaney's playing midfield. You have value at a hundred thousand cheaper. Duncan, uh, sorry Dunkley is probably the other one with the upside, but at least he's been playing and training. And there's just so much value that's hard to kind of throw money at all these players, especially if they haven't had a preseason. But his history though is from 2017, so an average of 109.8, 106.2, 103.2, 103.6, and even the 99.2, if you take out his injury game, which was like on 10, right, it's still a decent like low 100 average. It's like 104. I can't remember what it is exactly. So I think he's definitely top six material. It's just about how many games he plays. If he becomes a cheaper upgrade option, I would definitely be looking at him just because of points, and you have to hope. If you're going to win, you have to hope. Like Aaron Hall, fucking A. You have to hope. You have to get them in. Hey, look, they're doing it. They've got a good role. They're, they're scoring well. And sometimes you just need to risk it for the biscuit for yeah. people that you know will score top four in their line. For for a lot of super coach, a lot of our teams of the top players are very similar. Duncan, whenever he gets traded in, is going to either make or break. You know, the winner will be talking about this at the end of the year going, I either avoided Duncan when everybody was trading him in and then he gets injured like the next week and it saved that person two trades or they're going to be talking about going, I jumped on Duncan at the right time and he got got on a roll and I was ahead of the pack. And that, So he, yep. he's going to be one of those players that's going to make or break somebody's season this year. I reckon it'll be the winner saying, I didn't choose Duncan or Dunkley. Basically, not starting them was a slam dunk because I went Heaney and Butters at F1 and 2. Quite possibly, mate. That's Quite that's possibly. the feel. I, that's yeah. the feel I've got. Oh, this it's year, the feel right? I get. It probably ends up being the other way round. Goes, oh, possibly. You know, I started. Yeah, Duncan I didn't start and, Duncan yeah. or Dunkley, and my season <laughs> got fuckly uh, <laughs> to begin with. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. So for me, I am definitely keeping an eye on him because he can average you high one hundreds, and it's not a stretch. Like he mm. is a player that can capitalize and score you one hundred and five on average without breaking a sweat. So, uh, okay, moving on. So for me, in draft leagues, I, I don't mind taking that risk because, yeah, you know I mean, it's one of those ones you hope he plays and when he does, he'll win your games. And if you don't, then, well, fuck, hopefully you've drafted well enough in all your other lines to capitalize. So, um, alrighty, now let's go into some draft relevancy. Um, Sam Managola had knee surgery in Perth in October. So I think after they lost, working his way back to full fitness, um, that was probably in January. So repairing his meniscus. So that's going to be an issue for me. Menangola, I don't know if he if he's if he's coming back from an injury, whether he gets pushed forward to the flank or something, might get DPP. The next one is I don't know how Phil Selwood. I'll probably just let someone else pick him. It's I don't know, age. If he if he's there and it's sliding and he's you know, you're into the nineties average and he's still sitting there, then maybe. I think that's flexible. Hawkins, ninety three average, yeah, around that sharing the the forward times for me. Nothing really screams here at me. Like, I think Henry's got a bit of scope to improve his average. Um, but, it, you know, Parfit's been sidelined for the offseason. Jeremy Cameron, I think, is a big slider. If he's fit, Jeremy Cameron could be pushing more than Hawkins. I'd rather pick up a, a, a Cameron if he's fit at an 81 average. I think there's scope for him to go, you know, low to mid-90s. So draft relevance, but at the moment, it's kind of a bit of a, a wait and see for the preseason and a little bit of a hit and hope. Swiss, who are you keen on? Yeah, it's, the problem is there's not a huge amount of value. Um, you know, I've seen Selwood going where he's probably meant to be going you know, later on. But people just, you, you see him there and uh, like keepers, obviously different, but standard league, people are like, well, it's still what he's still going to, you know, go 85 and have weeks where he's going to go 120. So they're picking him up. Hawkins has, you know, been such a good player, somebody who I've had in standard and some, you know, even last year at the right time, you know, 101, then 85, then 105, then 93. We know what he does in Geelong. And if they have a big bank of Geelong games, um, yeah, he just scores through the roof. Um, but again, it's he might be the one that slips a little bit further because people are like, oh, well, Keith Ford and there's so many other role players this year. 
um, and and Jeremy Cameron a bit in that. So sometimes people look at the key forwards when you've got, you know, thinking, well, Fife or Dangerfield or Minigol or all these guys could become dual position players. Um, they're sliding a little bit, um, so you can get a little bit of value in there, but all the other ones are going really where they are. So, yeah, I just, if you're happy to pay for, um, you know, at that position, you look at them and you're weighing up a few players and go, well, I know what these guys can do, but they just don't thrill me, a lot of these Geelong players. Um, Menegola does a little, um, but that's somebody at the same time. It's like, how many weeks is he going to be missing? I don't really want it. people picking him up still. So it's like, well, it depends how deep my bench is because I, I know he's going to have to be sitting on the bench for the first half, you know, few games of the season, and then he's going to play forward, so he's not going to be scoring great anyway. And then I'm hoping he then picks up dual position, which might not be till round 12. And then if you're in a draft league and you're only playing 14 rounds or whatever anyway, it's like, well, I've kind of wasted a pick there. So even him with some value, um, I just don't see any value with Minnegola as well. So you, then you start have to look at your Mark O'Connors or your Seglers or, or those sort of players who are going real late in drafts. I think in one draft I was in, O'Connor completely went undrafted um, and Segler went about round 18. Um, so there you start getting your value of those players. Um, but even like, you know, I don't like your Dellhouses, I don't like your Higgins. Um, they've just got so many players who, just with their age, they're just going to keep rotating. They're going to come in and they play their role, but I just don't see them as good super coach scorers. Yep, no, I agree with that. And even Higgins, right, he basically, I think he tried to jumpstart 2022 preseason to make sure he's a solidified place in that 22. But he could easily be a couple of bad performances away from just getting replaced by a younger, fitter, more agile person. It's not uncommon. And I quite like Higgins, you know what I mean? But he's been doing it for quite a while now. I think he's like 33. And um, he, I think he does provide a lot. He could have even been a sub for them last year. So it wasn't his best year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I bank him in to be best 22, but I wouldn't be picking him in draft hoping to rekindle 100 average. That's not the Sean Higgins you're going to get. And um, especially with these subs these days, he'd be a pretty good sub because you get a leadership a leader guy who can still make it and play anywhere from you know, a quarter to, to four quarters. And you know that if someone goes down and everything starts to fall apart, that at least you have a stable head that has composure that can come in and do a job. And he so, can play anywhere. So you can, yeah, yeah like he's, yeah, he can play, roles. he could intercept and use his foot if you push him in the back line or you can put him in the midfield and do a job for a couple of quarters or kick some snacks. So, yeah, he's a very dangerous one for me. And I don't think I'll be picking him up in draft, um, even though, like, it's, you know, he's sliding and he can score you a 90 average. Maybe it's your last bench option if I'm desperate, but I'd rather pick a youthful player with more upside because if you get Higgins, the best he's going to get you is high 80, right? I don't think he's going anything better than that, whereas I'd rather pick a, a younger player to have more scope to kind of push high, you know, over the 90 barrier and actually extend kind of like the, you know, the Ollie Wines did previously and the Clayton Olivers, how they were averaging 80 and then went a hundred to and pushed the next level. And I'd be looking at more speculatives in draft because once they go, if you are doing well in draft, you won't pick them up again. Yep. It's you the waiver wire. Someone else gets them. You can't even say they've got like mid prices that I'm looking at. Even Stengel who's come in at two forty seven. Like, yeah, he's going to get games. He could lock down that small forward role. But at the same time, it's a small forward. They just don't excite me in Supercoach, not at 247. If he was like 123, now I'm like, yeah, Sting will bring him in. But, yeah, 247 is such an ugly price for a small forward. So, yeah, outside maybe a couple of the rookies that we'll get in the moment, there's not as much relevance compared to a lot of the other sides. Um, Isaac Smith was one that I've, I've had in the past, but, you know, he sits on his wing and gets that 90 points. Um, but everybody knows Isaac Smith, Isaac Smith. They see him there. They go, oh, well, he can probably do roughly the same. And people are willing to grab him at what, he, what his price is. And I'm not willing to pay overs. I'll reach for them in a draft to get them. Um, so, yeah, it's it, it really kind of Tom Atkins last year. He had his breakout last year. So he's not doing that again. That you're paying for what you get for him. So, yeah, I think we may as well move on to the rookies, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think you're 100% accurate there. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it in a nutshell, to be honest, isn't it? So, Knuckles, one that intrigues me at 327, the only one that has any kind of possible upside if he gets his body right. 
for me, it's pretty much a, a, a two-man show, De Koning and Stevens. Um, I'd like to say, you know, Shannon Neal. Apparently they call him Nolly because um, what about me, Mr. Shannon Neal? Um, Shannon Noll? Shannon Neal? I don't know. <laughs> nearly nearly nailed it. But, um, yeah, I think if we start off with De Koning, because he's probably the more intriguing one, and we spoke about this when we were talking about Tommy Stewart. Um they needed someone to go and fill it in. And it's funny because literally five hours ago, there was a video posted from Geelong and he's put on some size. Like usually you kind of get, okay, De Koning, 204 centimeters. We knew he was a bit of a, a bean, uh, bit of a beanstalk. And he, he looks a decent size, a decent size enough to be able to handle his own and still be mobile enough to actually get around and kind of push off. And it's very impressive. So I think from his draft year, it was probably about 77 kilos. It looks like he's weighing in about 10 kilos more at the moment at 87 he did say in the first year or two, it's pretty much like, you know, basically the Stanley approach. You come into a club and, hey, eat plenty of beefcake and lift weights, mate, because you're you're skinny as little fuck. Um, and he's put on some good size. And he even said that, that was a big focus of his. He's been talking to, you know, the, the dietitians and the performance team to put on some size. And he's at a size now where they reckon he can probably maintain that weight for the next sort of five to seven years probably around that 87 to 90 sort of kilo mark, which is probably where he'll want to sit. And that's good though, because now if he's still fit enough, then he'll be, he'll get used to his size. The running will become easier because his body's used to actually that load to run through his joints in his body. And he can really start to push off. They rate him. Jenkins was talking about him pretty much. This is a kid like he highly rates. This kid is uh, extremely talented and he expects him to absolutely blow up this year. Uh, not that I take much weight to what Jenkins is saying, because let's face it, he talks a whole bunch of shit. Um, but he is someone that's on my radar. Now, when we talk about it, De Koning probably plays defensive line. He spoke out today saying like, yes, like, you know, he's been obviously a bit of a swing person in the past. He's played forward last year, which he thought was great, but he's settling down back. He's going to be playing key sort of defensive position. He was on Hawkins and Radaglia in some of the intra-club and some of the training drills they were doing. And he's actually got a good mark on him too. So he can float off and get a mark. And once the ball hits the contest, he was peeling off Hawkins. He was pushing Radaglia under the contest, which is very easy. Let's face it. I think he's very talented. And as a swing player with a defensive forward, if you're going to go at Coleman, I think he's a perfect swing option. Any one of those forward defender status players, I think he's going to be worth an extremely a good amount. It's just his scoring potential, Swiss. Yep. Yep. Um, and the scoring potential is because, you know, you're playing key defense, but he'll be 21 by the time he starts the season. Uh, I think uh, it reminds me a bit of Noah Bolter coming through. I think he, he, people underestimate, you know, like when Bolter was, you know, learning and putting the size on at the same time, he's training with Tom Lynch, Jack Rewald, who two of the better defenders, Barras the same, you know, you're training with Kennedy and Darling. So DeConning training with Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron, arguably the two best forwards in the league at the moment. Um, every session that he'd be doing as a defender is working with those guys and learning against the two best forwards. Um, so the only thing that was holding him back is just putting that size on. He's got the size. We know he was an early draft pick. He was a first-round pick. He's been in the system now and spent that whole time just you know learning from these guys, bulking up in the gym, as you've said. Uh, and, and you look at like signed the contract too. Signed the contract, so they've got that year. much. They've yep. got faith in him. They love what they see. You're going to get the odd intercept mark. You know, he's going to be that you know key defender who doesn't score as well. And I look at like we didn't talk in the Freo pod about like Joel Hamling, for example, who's in the I think he's about two seventy coming back. Um, but at a hundred, like I wouldn't want to touch him because of his price. Because you know the defenders are going to score between that sort of forty and sixty points each game, but at one hundred and twenty-three thousand, um, this guy hasn't left my team. Because even if he's scoring forty, fifty, sixty, we saw how valuable Cosy was as a forward um, doing that last year. But as a guy who's, um, you know, we know he's going to be locking down defender. They need him. They've got rid. Of, they've retired Henderson, um, so he's got he's got the position. He's not going anywhere. He's going. He'll get the odd point kick out, he'll get the odd intercept mark. I'm happy for him to sit there as my D7, D8, and, and when I need him, bring him on the field if I've got somebody missing. Get And I know I've got 50, 60 points sitting there, and he can play up to the buy, hopefully make $150,000. It's just, just a no-brainer. Hell, he's only in, what do I say, 29% of teams. 
that that he should be one of the highest owned rookies because we're, we're short of defensive rookies at the moment. There's we saw last year there weren't many going around, and the, and this kid's just going to be a lock in in Geelong's defence. How many big boy forwards are there that are really hard to match up on? Like well, Dixon. Well, well, that well that's Lin, the well, first thing. Hawkins. Two, Hawkins is on the same team, so that's easy. Hawkins and Cameron are on the same team, so two of yep. the best ones he doesn't have to play against. And when um, we look at the draw again, Essendon. Yeah, well, well, he's Essendon's first game, so it's probably either two meter Peter or if they're playing Jones, if he gets the second one, and they, um, yeah. So I'm not too worried about him on there. Sydney, well, they they're going to try to avoid putting him on Buddy if on, Buddy's yeah, playing. Yeah, I agree. Buddy will probably um, up the ground a little bit. So it might be he might have to go up against Reid, or he might even get like a Blakely or or um, a McDonald or something. Yeah, or something like I think that. Pretty decent. Pies, what's that? Meyer check. And that, um, it's not, or, but then my chicks um, probably plays a little bit more small. I, I can't. Or depending oh, Cox. if uh, they play. He probably gets yeah, Mason Cox. Cox. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, because of his, his height on that. So it's not until probably Joey Danaher, because of the height um, factor in round yeah, four, that he's probably up him. against somebody that might expose him. The Hawks in North Melbourne the next two weeks after that. And then even Freeman or probably, Tabern- Taberner probably by yeah, that point. Or even Tracy if he's playing and something. So they're going to try to probably get him the second forward, but the more tall one or maybe the resting Ruckman. So, yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to – And hope he's more mobile and yeah. agile to be able to burn them off once it hits the ground or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't mind him. I think he's – and, again, if you're picking like a Coleman or someone else, which I'm now starting to get hot on, um, it definitely provides that flexibility. If you put him in the forward line, you put Coleman in defense or vice versa. It definitely just helps give some of that stability and flexibility. You know, if things aren't quite working out, then bang, you can throw Coleman to whichever line is starting to struggle and then away you go and your team is now looking magnificently better. The, the perfect um, world, we need. We really need Will Kelly from Collingwood to get himself in that side because, yeah, could you just imagine the, able to loophole one from F8 to D8? And they'll be the perfect player. But, uh, yeah, I still think he should be picked by everybody. Yeah, no, I'm still with you there. So, And the next one is obviously Cooper Stevens. Now, Cooper Stevens was drafted, I think it was like end of first round, and they highly rated him too. So Stevens is one that they have been wanting, and I think he, they rated him. So I've been watching him for about a season and a half now. I think how long has he been on the list? Like two years? It's been a little yeah, while, Cooper, or at it, least a I year. Was... I've waited. Yeah, yeah, I think I've waited a little 16. while. I was just trying to think. It was in the same year of, um, as the Conning's year, but he's um yeah, but he was definitely pick sixteen in two thousand and nineteen. So okay. yeah, again, he's been been in the system those couple of years through the COVID. Probably hasn't able to play as much, you know, because there hasn't been VFL as much VFL down as we would have liked down here. So probably hasn't had the chance to develop as quickly as um he would have liked. But he looks the, like he's the thing is, he is he's a local boy. So unlike Clark, that was always the worry that he was going to go home. Um, yeah, Cooper Stevens, there's nowhere else for him to go. So I think they've probably gone, well, we'll take our time with him. He's, you know, he's going to be that future playing down on that wing. Um, and I think, like, in a perfect world, I'd love love him to start. And, and you never know, they might bring him in, Saab, or he might be that 20-second player. But I feel like he's more likely to be... Um, get some games throughout the year, or if Geelong's wheels were to fall off, then you would see, okay, we're going with Cooper Stevens. He's in, he's our man now because we're going to get games into him. But he's definitely going to play this year. It's just about when. Yeah, no, I think I'm pretty well on the same train here. He's one that he's been in my side for a lot of the preseason, but now it's kind of, you know, wait and see. He's definitely in the mix for me. Uh, he was definitely frustrated not getting much of an opportunity the first couple of seasons. Again, there was no real VFL and a whole bunch of other stuff that was he missing. His, so, yeah, he and injury his leg as well. Yeah, yeah. So injury kind of is. So apparently he's coming. You know, looking at a high focus on preparation, which is good for a younger player to come in and really be focused and channeling that energy into preparation and becoming, getting ready for the twenty twenty two preseason. He actually um, got together and moved in with a couple of teammates and basically went ten weeks solo, just smashing out preseason before. You know, when the off-season hit, he just smashed out uh, a whole bunch of his own preseason work and came in to the preseason officially uh, in good nick. So it's one of those ones where, I guess, if you're disappointed and you're feeling fresh, then you want to come in raring to go. You want to come in putting your best foot forward. So he had a real good chunk of a um, bit of training in the off-season when they can't officially get 
be told what to do. And he smashed out a whole heap. So he's one that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Um, with the, you know, the Higgins and these other guys, he's definitely something I could easily just completely um, take advantage. And uh, it's, you know, he's just trying to put his best foot forward. And that hunger and determination is for me why he's on my watch list. Yeah. And with Duncan and Minigola like, likely to miss early games, um, they might go with him because he is that sort of that midfielder with a bit of speed that he could play and on he's the wing. Tall. Yeah. That and too. He's so. 188, 188 centimeters. So he's a, he's a tough inside midfielder who's 188 centimeters tall. So he's definitely mm. got some caliber that they could use. And clearly that's why Charlie Constable has been moved on because they got Cooper Stevens in there anyway. So he's the more likely one for the future. Um, but it just, it's probably better. My, yeah. <laughs> my worry is if they don't start him with Duncan and Minigola out and that if they, when they come back, yeah, you're, you're waiting for the Geelong cliff to fall off. And that, and we could be talking about him next year as a 117K rookie because he might have not. But I still think he's got to get the opportunity at some point this year um, yep. because he's doing everything right. I agree. Doing everything right. He's raring to go for 2022. He looks like he's a decent size as well, like aesthetically. looks like he's built solidly enough, looks fit, looks strong, and um, he's definitely on my list. And as far as cheap rookies go, there's not many of them, to be honest. So he's one that you can definitely lock in. I think him and Mead are probably the ones that have been hanging on, looking at for at least the last couple of years. Uh, was it Mead from Port Adelaide? Uh, the two that definitely deserve an opportunity and have been lined up for a couple of years to do so. So they're the easier ones for me to pick if they yeah, are getting sure. a gig. So um, I think that rounds us up, Swizzy. Yeah, the, the only other one I wanted was Toby Conway, but unfortunately they went out and picked up Segler. So it's it sort of made him null and void, but he was probably the best ruckman in the draft this year. So maybe one just to watch for future development um, because so obviously Stan, Stanley's going, yeah, Stanley's getting on and Segler's getting on. Um, so they're probably going to have him develop for the next two years. And I think, yeah, if we revisit like the Geelong podcast in two years time, we're going to be talking about Toby Conway, but that's just something to keep on track for future to future podcasts. Yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. So when they went and got in Segler, what you're saying is that his opportunity Conway. <laughs> oh, Benny boy and your dad jokes. Love it, mate. Hey, I had to work hard for that one. Um, <laughs> that does wrap us up. Gee along, everybody. So thank you very much. Uh, again, this is probably a little bit of a shorter one, so this will be in one take on the YouTube. Thank you very much. I think we'll get together and do a few more, hopefully on Wednesday, if Chris can fulfill his legally binding obligations. We'll see you then. See you later. 51 minutes, Swizz. What the fuck? <laughs> How do we talk about Geelong for 51 minutes, everyone? Oh, why not? Wow, a bit of long-winded wow. stuff there, everyone. Oh, the the wizard masters. Anyway, that's it from us. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much for tuning in. Let us know who you're hot on this year, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. The C is for the courage I possess through the drama. H is for the hurt, but it's all for the honor. A is for my attitude, working through the patience. Money comes and goes, so the M is for motivation. Gotta stay consistent, the P is to persevere. The I is for integrity, innovative career. The O is optimistic, open and never shut. And the N is necessary, cause I'm never giving up. See, they ask me how I did it, I just did it from the heart. Crushing the competition, been doing it from the start. They say that every champion is all about his principles. Carry. Oh,